Are you ready to take full control of your physical, emotional, and spiritual health? Are you ready to experience great success in your life? Health Talk with Dr. Diane M.D. will teach you the tools and strategies to help you take control of your health and inspire you to live your best life. Now here is your host, Dr. Diane A. Thompson, M.D. Welcome to Health Talk with Dr. Diane M.D. This is the show that is designed to inform and inspire you to a healthier lifestyle. I am your host, Diane A. Thompson, M.D., and as always, it is my pleasure spending time with you on this broadcast with the goal that perhaps you may learn something new that may take your health and your life to a higher level. I will remind you that the information presented on this broadcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended for diagnosis or treatment. Please seek the advice of your healthcare provider before making any changes to your health. My guest today is Dr. Cynthia Thigg, and she is a board-certified cardiologist and the author of this book, Your Vibrant Heart, Restoring Health, Strength, and Spirit from the Body's Core. Dr. Thigg, I wonder if you could, since we are in Heart Month and we are promoting heart disease awareness, can you talk a little bit about the risk factors of heart disease? Yes, uh, there are five major risk factors and then some very close correlated risk factors. Uh, So the the five are high blood pressure or hypertension. Um, There's close to 100 million Americans who have high blood pressure. And to this day, the disease is still under-recognized and under-treated. And part of the reason for that, blood pressure is cyclical. It isn't a static number. And all too often, um, patients don't recognize that, and so they'll say, oh, my blood pressure is always normal when I'm at home. Yes, that's the case, but that doesn't negate the fact that you might still have high blood pressure because the blood pressure will elevate at other times. And so I teach my patients a simple uh, rule. I have this 40-point rule that whatever blood pressure they're measuring at home, I want them to be able to add 40 points safely to that number and still have it in a reasonable range. So, for example, if they have a blood pressure at home of 110, add 40 points to that, that's 150. That's still okay uh, if that's the highest number that you're going to reach in a day. But if they're monitoring blood pressures and they're seeing readings of 130, 140, then you know that they're going to be spiking up much higher during the day and they really need to you know, seek medical attention. Um, other issues, high cholesterol. I ask people, please make sure you know your numbers. You have to understand that in medicine you are a consumer, and, and when a doctor checks the lab, make sure you know the, what those numbers are, and not only know what the numbers are, but know what range is a healthy range, and if it's not in a healthy range, seek attention. There's so much information that's there on the Internet and so forth and the guidance that you can receive from your physician. Diabetes is huge. It's the number one medical uh, risk factor for for the development of heart disease. And and having diabetes is really synonymous with having heart disease. Um, If you have diabetes, it's almost a foregone conclusion that you will have developed some cardiovascular event. And so it is so critical for people to know their their blood sugars, to to, um, accurately diagnose and hopefully prevent. And and the, the diabetes is so closely tied into obesity and the way we eat. And so if, if you're outside of the normal um, uh, weight scale, or particularly if you have 
that central obesity, which is part of the metabolic syndrome that we all are starting to hear about, that is, again, such a high risk for for heart disease, then I would really take action because you'll find that these risk factors that I talked about, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, and um, a metabolic syndrome, they all um, exist together. And, and if you develop one, it's very likely that the others will follow, and, and they add um, exponentially to heart disease. The other two risk factors that I want to mention is family history. Obviously, there's nothing you can do about your family history, but the awareness is key, and so you can take action and prevention of the other risk factor. And smoking. Um, I, I, smoking is something that is definitely preventable. It's within a person's uh, own ability, and, and so those are the, the major risk factors. One of the things you touched on is how important it is for people to know their numbers. I still meet patients today who will have tests done, different tests, and they cannot tell you what the results are. They'll simply assume that because someone didn't get back to them, it must have been okay. And I really agree with you that people really need to take better control of their health. They really need to feel empowered to ask what these results are, what do they mean for me, what do I need to do to get to where I need to be. Um, You mentioned smoking, and in your book, you really have a unique take on smoking, where you even talk about the lie about smoking. Can you talk about your thoughts on smoking? Yeah. You know, so many patients and physicians as well, um, you know, believe that smoking is addictive, and so that's led to a million-dollar industry, billion-dollar industry with all these products that are out there to help people with smoking cessation. And and for me, I have a very uh, strict definition of what addiction is. You know, addiction requires biochemical dependency, meaning that your body is dependent on the substance, and at the absence of that substance, there will be clearly definable, reproducible withdrawal symptoms. So, for example, alcohol is very addictive or can be addictive. You can get the DTs, the tremors, the shake, you can have withdrawal seizures. Even caffeine for some people can be addictive, and you can have the vasoconstriction, the, the, the caffeine withdrawal headaches. But for me, smoking... And that's not to say people don't have a reaction when they stop smoking. Uh, Some people hallucinate, some people overeat, some people get really cranky and irritable and mean, but they're they're not reproducible and they're they're individual. And and quite frankly, I call all the reactions an adult boo-ha-ha, adult tamper tantrum. It's your body raging against yourself, trying to be the the child versus the parent, um, you know, role, of, of fighting and 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 I've seen this, you know, and and I'll tell you, I I've through my years of of practicing medicine and coaching, I have helped hundreds, if not thousands, of people stop smoking the day that they meet me because I really empower them. I I tell them the decision to stop smoking or not is yours. I'm not here to beat you up about that. Okay, I'm here to affirm that. The, the, the day, the moment, the instance that you decide that you're going to stop smoking, you can. That's not to say that you might not have a reaction. That's not to say that you might not get irritable and cranky. But recognize and realize that there is no biochemical physiological response. You know, we don't have an antidote for nicotine the way we do for, for cocaine and crack. Um, and, and plenty of people, the day that they have their heart attack, the day that they go on bypass surgery, the day they have their stroke, no longer has that taste with a cigarette, and they do stop. 
and there's no problem. And so I truly believe that there is not a physiological addiction. There might be a psychological addiction, but again, that you control by making that decision. And, and don't fight yourself until you make that decision, but walk, work with yourself to, to move towards being able to make that decision where clearly, with clarity and definity, you can let go of your cigarette. And when you do, it will be easy. I promise you. I think if more patients take that view of it, then definitely giving up smoking will be a much easier feat than it seems to be right now. What it does is put the control back into the patient's hand. And and to me, I think self-empowerment, self-control is the key to achieving anything you want to do in life. Agreed, and especially in attaining good health. Uh, I think that there's a big place for that. One of the things that you talk about is, and, and this is thrown around so much, and that's why I wanted you to address it a little bit, is the idea of detoxification. Just about everywhere you look these days, when people are looking at getting healthy, if they're looking at going on different types of diets, they talk about detoxification. And I know that this can mean different things for different people. So when you address the topic of detoxification, what does that mean for you? One, I do think that detoxification is one of the three pillars of health, of good health, um, the other two being proper nutrition and fitness. But I want your listeners to really understand what detoxification means because um, it has, you know, it's a buzzword that has a lot of um, mystique to it. And, and, and too many people are, are swayed or influenced by, you know, uh, different programs out there, different products that will, will detoxify the body. And, and, and I want to just caution people to really do their homework and not uh, get um, so um, mystified by all the promotions that are out there. You know, your body is the best detoxification tool. Okay? Your liver, your pancreas, your spleen, your, your lymphatic system, your blood cells, um, even the muscle and the skin. And so the detoxification process, you have the best machinery that exists within your body. The, to me, the core, the key component of detoxification is not adding more toxins in and allowing your body to do its job. And so the, the elimination diet, the, the, the elimination of the, the external factors, the exposures um, to you know, even sunlight, uh, which can cause a free radical, the, the, the fumes and the pesticides and the herbicides and, and all the stuff that exists in our chemical environment, and then in terms of the food, the processed food, the sugar, the animal protein, the dairy. And so there are certain foods that are, you know, the, you know soy, gluten, um, that not for everyone, but, but, you know, for a good majority can be toxic to the body. And so you do an elimination diet. You allow your body to, to do its own healing and do its own cleansing. And that's how you do a physical detox. I, I actually also want to put a plug in or, or mention uh, an emotional detox that I actually have a, a mental uh, detox program if anyone's interested they can you know get a hold of me at info at com. but but I believe so much in in the toxic thoughts that that we infuse our bodies with and so 
equally important, if not more important than a physical detox to me, is a mental detox where you really free yourself of, of like I said, the stress, the, the fears, anxiety, the, 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 the negative self-thought, negative self-image, and, and really learn how to lean into to gratitude and love and appreciation. And so, so that, to me, is also really key. Um, that people think about really detoxing their mind from the negative uh, thoughts and emotions. You touched on something. There is indeed a physical and emotional connection with health, don't you? Is that your your take on it? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, the the Bruce Lipton in his his um, his thesis, you know, talk about. The, the conscious mind and the subconscious mind, and, and it's really interesting. You know, he postulated that only about five um, percent of our, our our thinking brain or our mind um, is being utilized, and that and that's the what he terms the the conscious awareness. Okay, and 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 the rest of our activity of our uh, of our daily existence is really being controlled by our subconscious, and our emotions to me are are the gateway, the clues to what is going on within our subconscious mind, you know, emotions, energy, emotion. And when you don't have balance in your life, when your emotions and your vibrations are, uh, are on a different plane, that gets reflected within your body. And actually, whether it's positive or negative, that, that is what then gets manifested within your body, things that are going on within your subconscious. And so I like to tell my patients, you know, every thought, every emotion leads to just a you know, instantaneous cascades of hundreds and thousands of neurotransmitters and hormones and peptides and, and inflammatory markers and so forth. And they will either, you know, play you a beautiful melodic symphony or, you know, um, uh, heavy metal music, you know, it will either have positive effect within your body or negative effect because those hormones and those peptides do cellularize it in your body and, and either give you health or disease or disease. And so there is absolutely a huge mind-body connection that people need to uh, get interested in and be aware of and start shifting. We'll take a short break, and when we come back, we will then address some of the specific things, such as the foods we eat, the things we can do to go towards attaining that vibrant heart. We will be right back. Dr. Diane A. Thompson is a physician, writer, speaker, and the radio host of the popular syndicated show, Health Talk with Dr. Diane M.D. You may also listen to her live on Atlanta Broadcasting Network, 1570 AM WIGO, every Friday at 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. To contact Dr. Diane A. Thompson, go to her website and sign up for updates at drdianethompson.com. That's drdianethompson.com. And like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Thompson. Now back to our show. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, welcome to Health Talk with Dr. Diane M.D. My guest today is Dr. Cynthia Teich. She is a board-certified Harvard-trained cardiologist, and her book is called your Vibrant Heart, Restoring Health, Strength, and Spirit from the Body's Core. And she just finished talking about that mind-body connection. And so, Dr. Pike, I wanted to move into some of the more traditional things that people think of when they are looking towards attaining a healthy heart. So let's talk a little bit about food intake. 
what is your thought? Because this is another thing that's out there quite a bit, this raw food movement. What's your thoughts on, on raw food in order to help attain a healthy heart? Um, well, one, I do believe in the in the raw food movement or the benefit, the tremendous benefit that, that you can obtain. Just for your listeners who might not be aware of what that means, um, raw food is about you know consuming things that is not heated beyond 115 degrees, so that you have your your basically a plant-based diet um, that is either in completely raw or or just lightly you know cooked or steamed that doesn't get to that 115 degrees. This obviously takes the animal protein out of the equation because you know that does need to be cooked, and so. Um, and there's tremendous, tremendous benefit that can be obtained from have you know uh, taking a, a raw food um, from you know starting with the fact that you're not uh, destroying your your minerals and nutrients and enzymes in the in the vegetables and the, the that that you're eating and and you know that you're getting the full complement of phytonutrients um, that this plant has to offer, which will obviously have tremendous impact on um, your cardiovascular health and your, your sense of overall well-being. But having said that, I do acknowledge that that is a very hard uh, diet to be able to to consume and maintain. And so I don't want anyone to feel like, oh, my God, if I can't, you know, eat that type of way that I'm not giving my body optimal health. I do want people to just start being a little bit, you know, more conscientious, again, going back to mindfulness, in terms of how you do prepare your food, uh, try and blend your, your vegetables, try and lightly steam or, or you know, rapid heat, um, cook, you know, your vegetables. Um, I think for, for me, um, if I can influence people to not use oil in their cooking, because oil, when heated, tends to oxidize and can cause a lot of free radical within your body. If you can think about sautéing with uh, vegetable broth um, and, 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 you know, sort of flash cook your vegetables. All of that will will help to improve your 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 nutritional intake and content. And another debate that I see sometimes, and you actually address that in your book, is that of juicing versus blending. How do those things compare? Do you have a preference? Yeah, you know, I I don't come down strongly on either side. I think that both has is 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 unique. Uh, um, Benefits, um, you know. So again, for the listener, juicing is when you you take your your vegetables or your fruits and and run it through a juicer, and you get you know the pure fruit or vegetable juice. And so juicing, what it does is take away the fiber. Okay. And so what the benefit of juicing to me is that it allows you to consume just that much more uh, nutrients because the 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 juices is is is. Uh, lighter, it's, it's cleaner, it's not as bulky, but you get all the nutrients and minerals and, and so forth. Whereas blending um, doesn't take away the fiber, and so the fiber is is uh, left in. And the you know so the, with blending, you can't consume as much because it's just a, a thicker um, liquid and, and it's bulkier. But the, there's a lot of benefit to having fiber in your diet, too, because it cleanses the, the GI tract, the GI system. It helps to, uh, to stabilize uh, the entry of blood sugar into the bloodstream, and so it won't have as much of an uh, impact in terms of elevating and spiking your blood sugars for anyone who's a diabetic. Um, and so I really 
uh, recommend doing a combination of juicing and blending so you can retain some fiber in, within your, your diet, um, but also that you, know, that you do juice at other times just to get the, the, the greater quantity uh, of uh, fruits and vegetables into your body. I actually do both. But I tend to lean towards blending more simply for convenience because generally with juicing, if I'm rushing, I have to clean up. And with the blending, you know, you simply drink everything that you blend. So, but they're both um, great. Here's another thing that often comes up, patients who are trying to get healthy. And, of course, there are so many organic foods out there, and people don't know which way to go. What's your suggestion on that? Do you need to go organic, or are you okay going the other way? Well, generally, I do recommend organic for for those that can afford it, but I do recognize that there is a cost factor. And so, so I write in my book, and I actually have a list that I encourage the the, the readers and the listeners to um, to do their own research because these these um, information changes year to year. But there is a, 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 a list that's put out uh, of you know the clean um, the dirty dozen and the clean 15. And so there are a list of 12 uh, fruits and vegetables that are uh, more heavily affected by the herbicides and the pesticides. And then there are a list of 15 um, fruits and veggies that are part of that clean 15 list that doesn't matter as much whether you take organic or non-organic. Now, recently there was a Stanford study that came out that uh, looked at uh, the produce of organic and non-organic and found that there wasn't any difference or not substantial difference in the nutrient content. And so the argument there was that organic wasn't as critical. But I want to remind the, the listeners that it isn't all just about the nutrient content. It, it is the pesticide itself and the herbicide itself that is on these, uh, these um, produce and that will get into your body. So again, when we talk about toxins and detoxification, um, a lot of these products um, do have estrogenic and uh, uh, neurogenic properties. And, and I firmly think that, you know, the sort of the uprise of, of all these neurotoxic and neurodegenerative diseases that we see in our, in our society these days and, and also the uprise of, of breast cancer and some of the, uh, the estrogen-sensitive um, um, cancers are due to the fact that our, our food supply has radically, you know, shifted and changed. You know, not just organic versus non-organic, but, you know, all the uh, genetically modified organisms that are out there, the GMOs. And so I do encourage uh, your listeners to be, you know, again, advocates of their own health, to be consumers, to do the best that they can do, you know, supporting the far- local farmer market, um, growing their own produce, um, you know, I, I have this tower garden, which is a hydroponic tower garden that I can, you know, uh, grow some of my produce. And so look for ways to be able to really help yourself. That's great. And I, I did share similar information a couple of weeks ago on the radio and, and uploaded the link for the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15. And I will do that again for people because you know, so many people are trying to get healthy. And, and you're right, for some people, the cost of organic is just too much for them. So we definitely have to find alternatives that are also safe. Are there other foods, specific foods that you encourage for someone who's trying to attain a healthy heart? Yeah, again, I think, you know, um, 
to think in terms of whole food plant based medicine um uh, being mindful when you when you look at the food that you're you're uh taking into your body, just ask yourself, did this come from nature did does this food have life did it have life and and if you if you just stick to eating food that will provide you life um and so green leafy vegetables uh, vegetables that are are densely rich in colors, getting the rainbow spectrum of colors, um, you know, vegetables uh, and fruit, both of them. And then and then looking for food that will uh, move your body into an alkaline state. And so, again, you can go into my book, you can go onto the website, and there's there's all sorts of things that you can look up for, for uh, having an uh, alkaline-based diet, um, which is really the elimination of the acidic uh, foods, the, the animal protein, the dairy, the sugars, the processed food, and shifting towards the more of the plant-based stuff. The book is called Your Vibrant Heart, Restoring Health, Strength, and Spirit from the Body's Core. And as we get down to our last few minutes, I would love for you to briefly touch on exercise. How important is exercise? This is something that we encourage, by the way. And and my follow-up question is going to be, you know, how do we get patients to do this? Because this is always a struggle. But touch on the importance of exercise in all of this. Well, the heart is a muscle, and like all muscles, it needs to be it needs to be exercised in order to have uh, you know optimal health. Um, and so, uh, exercise is, is is super important. What exercise does is allow the heart to stay healthy. It helps to regulate the heart rate and the blood pressures. It definitely you know helps lower the risk of a heart attack and stroke. But it, in addition, it has other benefits. There's uh, certain cancers that can be. Um, uh, the risk of you know certain cancers can be uh, decreased by exercise. Uh, certainly, you know exercise will allow you to control your cholesterol and your blood pressure and your and even the blood sugars. And then exercise has such a, a benefit on the mind as well in terms of uh, lowering the risk of depression, elevating your mood. It certainly helps with sleep. And so, how do we how do we get our our patients or our listeners to to do the exercise. Again, I take the gentle approach. One is the education, the awareness, and the mindfulness. And secondly, just start. Start where you are with what you have. And so if if 10 minutes is all you can do, do 10 minutes, but stay consistent. Once you start the routine, keep it up. I think that the even more important than the duration or the intensity is the actual act of, because um, in, in doing that act, um, so many things shift within your body, including your mindset. And so go out and start walking. Um, and from walking, you could take it to a light jog or a run. Start out with 10 minutes, increase it by five minutes every week. And so that, that's usually my recommendation. I, I tell patients to start gentle and short. And from there, always be aim to improve, improve, improve. So in, extend the duration, extend the intensity. Ideally, 30 minutes of aerobic type of exercise five days a week um, is what you should be aiming for. If, and, that's, and actually, I don't want to say ideally, that's a minimum. And then from there, um, I usually recommend actually uh, 45 minutes to an hour, five days a week. Great. And as you said, meet people where they are. You know, start with what you have and, and just start and be consistent. And I think that's one of the best things. Now, I love to leave my listeners with a tip of the week, something that I feel they can implement right away and start on their way towards good health. And so for today, for someone who's looking at embracing this idea of having a vibrant heart, what is the first step you would share with them that would help them towards that goal? 
again, I think it's the recognition. It's the realizing that there is a higher plane that they can aspire to, um, that we want to be raising our level of conscious awareness to be able to really think into results. Um, And so being mindful, setting a vision for the type of health that you will want, um, really clarifying um, in great detail, what are the benefits, what are the, not only the physical benefits, but the emotional benefits that you would have from obtaining that health. Define it, have a picture of it, and, and just really meditate on it and be mindful of that. Have that vision of that person that you want to be um, in, your, in your mind screen at all times of the day. And if you do just that simple act of, of visualizing and the, the person and the health that you want to have, you will start seeing shifts in your life. Um, that inner guide that I talk about will guide you to all the right steps. just need to follow and listen and be open. Um, and so that's, that's my tip is being mindful, being connected, uh, being present, and having that vision. Dr. Tai, thank you so much for being on the show. Welcome. And if I could let your listeners know how they can get a hold of me, they can go to either of my websites, drcynthia.com or yourvibrantheart.com. And if they want to look me up on Facebook my, and Twitter, my, Twitter my, my handle there is just drcynthiamd. And so they can connect with me, and I love to hear from them. Again, the websites are drcynthia.com and yourvibrantheart.com, and I'll make sure those information are also on my own Facebook page so that people can get a hold of that. Again, thank you for being on the show. And to my listeners, as I tell you every week, your health is your wealth, so do something healthy for yourself. You've been listening to Health Talk with Dr. Diane M.D. Please join us every other Sunday on Blog Talk Radio at blogtalkradio.com slash Dr. Diane Thompson at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you have missed any part of this broadcast, would like to listen to past shows, or would like our free ebook on stress, please visit www.drdianethompson.com and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Dr. Diane A. Thompson. Remember, your health is your wealth. So do something healthy today.